wake up, wake up, From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel, providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I'm very excited today to be speaking to Eshkar Ben Shitrit, who is a co-founder of probably one of the most exciting companies that is in the news these days. He's a technology strategist by day and a foodie aspiring chef by night. And we're talking about a company called Redefine Meat. After spending time as a lawyer in the Supreme Court of Israel, Eshkar turned to high tech. As a product manager at HP Indigo and VP Marketing at Hycon System, early in 2018, he started pursuing his dream. He founded a company with the mission to use technology to make meat instead of using animals. Redefine Meat is leading a technological revolution in the food industry by creating craveable animal free meat using proprietary industrial 3D printers. Welcome, Eshkar. Hi, nice to be here. Happy to talk with you today. Okay, so uh, everyone should uh, have a good appetite after our conversation. So, so let me begin with the following. Your company and its product have received a lot of publicity as of late. Was your company created by people who wanted to save our planet and love eating meat, or was it created by people who love eating meat and wanted a healthier alternative? Wow, it's a, it's a great question and a very complicated one. I think that what we're doing is, is against basically a war against meat that comes from the fact that we love meat. Mm-hmm. And we basically think that meat is great, meat is amazing, and we understand and embrace the fact that people will continue to eat meat. It's just the technology that we use to create meat, which is basically cow, needs to change. And by doing that, we will uh, make the world a better place. So I, I don't know how to tell you exactly what direction we come out of it, but we're not doing it because we think meat is, is wrong or anybody who eats meat is, is doing something wrong. But the fact that we believe that meat can become something different than what we, we become used to. Mm-hmm. So beyond meat and the Impossible Burger have become household names in a very short time in the United States and even here. Uh, how, how do you account for such rapid brand recognition in a totally new market? First, it's not a totally new market because you had always Kivol and, and the veggie burger. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, That's true. But uh, what Beyond Impossible did is to identify a very, very important market trend. And it's the fact that a lot of people throughout history for the past 30 years that are actually carnivores that love meat wanted to embrace alternative meat. So they will go and they will buy Kivol and then be totally disappointed by how different is their experience in meat and what, what they're doing in the veggie and, and beyond started it an impossible follow through pretty much uh, right after it to identify there is a new consumer and that actually this consumer awaits and, and is actively seeking better meat alternatives. And just by, by switching the mindset of, of from a veggie burger to a meat product that doesn't come from an animal, they were able to tap into a much bigger market than the market for veggie burgers which is quite amazing because when they started, people told them, why would somebody who eats meat try something that looks like meat and smells like meat, but that is basically a veggie burger? And they said, you don't understand. Until we put it on the shelf, you can't anticipate the, the traction this will have. 
And indeed, it's, it's extremely successful, and I think it's much better than what they had in mind when they started. It took them a lot of time, because from founding the company to where they are today, it was about 10 years. The, the last two years were very fast, very accelerated for both companies, but there was a many, many years of R&D and market testing before this amazing adoption all over the, the world, basically. Well, it's, uh, I, I, I have tasted the Beyond Meat. I haven't in taste, tasted the Impossible World. I, I really like it. I think it's, it's a great alternative. And uh, people who are, are meat eaters uh, have supplemented to their diet. It just hasn't gone to, you know, to people who are vegans or, or vegetarians. On the technical side, how did you come to combine 3D printing with manufacturing your product? When, when you dive deep into the technologies uh, behind meat alternative or alternative proteins, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you look at how meat is produced naturally by the animal, you have uh, the life of, of a cow or even a chicken that constructs meat for us. The animal eats uh, and feeds and build this amazing product that we call meat. And when you look at the way alternative meat is uh, produced, there are no complicated means of manufacturing meat. And I come from an industry, the printing industry, and 3D printing, where we saw in the past 20 years, very analog, very traditional industries that have been transformed into more um, innovative and more uh, modern by 3D printing. So I asked myself if we can apply the same, the same story an analog technology going into digital, a traditional way of manufacturing, an advanced way of manufacturing, will it have something to contribute to alternative meat, to the alternative protein revolution? And when I talked to, to food technology from academia, I went to the Technion to talk, talk with food professors there, I went to the Tel Chai University up north, and they told me definitely, if you will have a 3D printer for alternative meat, we can have better texture, we can have better flavor, we can have better cooking, it can have better um, sensory experience, how you, you would perceive it. And then I know, knew that 3D printing for meat will happen. Uh, it's only a question of time because the market has such a big uh, potential and the technology is quite basic. And when we had this revelation, we founded the company. But I think w when we started the notion of 3D printing of meat sounds a little bit uh, science fiction or uh, something maybe a little bit gimmicky. When you go to food technology, when you understand food science and, and what is required to advance food, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you, you don't need to be a food technologist to, to understand the potential when, when you understand how meat is made, not from an animal. Interesting. Very fa fascinating, in fact. Now, there's a television commercial in the U.S. for Burger King where people are eating their vegan Impossible Burgers and acting surprised that their quote-unquote hamburger tastes like real meat. How have meat eaters reacted to your product? This is actually a strategy we also employ here. When you bring people to our lab and you tell them the story about uh, you know, how meat is, is destroying the planet and how you need to, to find a way to eat plant-based meat. And then we show them the 3D printer. And then we give them a tasting. They actually have too much information. They immediately compare. They say, it's really this, but meat is like that. And we found out that the best way is to just give people a tasting, a blind tasting, without telling them anything about the technology and to get the honest feedback. Do you like it? And how did you find the meat in the dish? Once we have this feedback from meat either, usually they say it's tasty, and the meat is quite nice, or the meat is a little bit too salty, or the meat is a little bit too dry. 
they rank it as they would rank a meat dish. Then uh, we, we give them the aha moment, well, this is not actually meat, it comes from, from plants, and it's made by the 3D printer, and then, then we can get a, a, an honest feedback on how they perceive the meat, uh, and only afterwards uh, talk about the technology. Meat eaters, they like plant-based meat when it's tasty and when it's meaty. Uh, if you just promote the fact that something is healthy or something is good for, plant, for the planet and it's not tasty, meat eaters will, will rather have their hamburgers or the steak coming from a cow. Uh, but once you introduce something that is tasty, you can start to talk about the, the benefits. Uh, we gave so far probably like 500 blind tastings and we had about two people that asked us, so this is, isn't meat, right? This is something that comes from plants. But actually most people don't even know it's not meat and, and definitely not that it's a plant-based meat alternative. It's funny that uh, it reminds me many, many years ago, I was in a marketing class in my MBA and they had a case study about beer and they had a couple guys who claimed to be experts on beer and they could tell the difference between Budweiser and Miller and when they were blindfolded, none of them could identify. So uh, that, that, that's that's a very good sign uh, that, that you get such a high positive reaction. How, how soon before Redefine Meat reaches our local grocery stores and restaurants? In Israel, in the coming few months, because we reached the point where the product is, is tasty enough, it's good enough to put it in, in the place of consumers in Israel, and the capacity is quite large. So now we are building a pilot factory. The pilot factory will have all the permits to, to provide meat in large scale, and then we'll start um, delivering to restaurants and uh, some shops in Israel. In the beginning of next year, we're also going to, are going to expand to Switzerland and Germany, where we have active collaborations. And this is more a pilot for, for market testing to perfect the product based on a much larger group of people that will taste it. Uh, and 2022 will be a, a more a bigger year for expansion. But actually in Israel, we are making too much today for just the internal consumption. So we are, we are planning to uh, put it more and more in restaurants and in, with partners we are working with uh, for about a year now. So it's not as far away as people think. People, when they hear 3D printed meat, they think it's probably going to be in the market in 2025. And we say, no, during 2020, a lot of people are going to taste our meat in Israel. So within your company, who, who are the big influencers? Meaning the foodies, those people from the food industry, or the techies, those people who come from the, the digital printing world? It's both, but we have a lot of techies that come from the food world, so it's the combination. The company is about 50% of the people in the company work on the process of the machine. What happens to the ingredients that converts them into something with texture, something with flavor, something with color. Uh, but the other 50% are people that go deep into the chemistry and the biology of the proteins, of the fats that we are using on specific molecules that give you flavor. And we do have somebody who has more the culinary heart, uh, an R&D chef, but we have five food technologies. We have somebody with a PhD in biotechnology. And the magic happens, the science and magic comes together from the integration, from the fact that a mechanical engineer and a chef and, and a software engineer are working together on the texture of food. And then you have insights from, from the chefs that saying, when I cook the, the meat to 70 degrees Celsius, something changes in the color. And then the food technologist can say, but, so we need to change the pH level of, of the flavor, of the color, 
and, and the mechanical engineer can say, okay, so we need to change the way it's introduced to, to the printing machine. And, and we break down every problem we have, texture, flavor, color, and melting point of fat, to hundreds of small problems. And we have a multidisciplinary team that looks at it from different directions. And, and in the food industry, you have similar uh, teams and similar structures, but it's very limited. And Nestle has this approach. Uh, you know, Impossible Foods has this approach. Most traditional food companies are more on the recipe. Let's change the flavoring, let's change the, the, the ingredients that we put inside. And that's how to fundamentally break down the problem and look at different technologies and different opportunities to improve in each one of them. And we think this is what makes us achieve our goals faster and in a better way than a traditional food com- company. Well, it's a beautiful story in terms of bringing different people together and, and, and coming up with such a great, great idea and your ability to fine tune it with all those people involved. Now, going to my own past, uh, my late grandfather was in the poultry business. He sold both kosher and non-kosher chicken. He felt that many Jews stopped eating kosher chickens, this was in America, because the non-kosher chickens were so much cheaper. Will meat alternatives, such as refined meat, be able to compete in terms of price with real meat products? Definitely. This is one of the things that uh, will be easy. And there's many reasons. First, uh, using technology in us animals, especially cows, is much more efficient. So we have much less waste in the process. And it's also a a quicker uh, way to produce meat because you don't need to wait until the the cow, the calf is two years old and consumes a lot of feed and a lot of water. The second thing is uh, today the meat industry has such such a massive scale with 1 billion cows just for meat all over the world. So when, when the alternative meat industry will achieve economies of scale, it will, be, it will be far cheaper. And the last thing is most governments around the world, so the European Union, the US government, are subsidizing the meat industry. And there is something that is called the real meat of price. What would we pay for meat if, if there was no subsidies? And it's at least double. And as the future progress, as time moves, meat prices will have to go up and plant-based meat prices will have to go down. But again, it's, it's very easy because if you just take uh, the, the feed that the cow eats, and instead of feeding it to a cow, you feed it to a 3D printer, then instead of giving a cow 25 kilos of, of feed to produce one kilogram of meat, you have one kilogram of feed converted directly into one kilogram of meat, which much less uh, pollution to the environment. Uh, the problem is, is we have a lot of new technologies. In new technologies, uh, you need to invest a lot in development, and then you need to invest a lot in scale-up. And, and this is a period of time where small companies need to recover what was invested in them and to make a lot of changes. But still, it's, it's really um, the potential to be healthier, more sustainable, and cheaper than meat exists. It, not, it just needs to be as basic, which is still a challenge. All right, so it would seem that uh, at some point, if not already, the, the meat industry is, is feeling challenged. It seems that a revolution in the meat industry does not need government backing. In other words, the private sector, as you're showing, and other companies can lead the way. Are, are you worried that as, the, as your market share grows, that the traditional meat industry will lobby against meat alternative products or, or you know, try to, to, to push back in some way? Like in many cases where we're in the industry uh, face disruption, you have some pushback. But actually in the meat industry, we see also the, the opposite trend where meat companies are embracing 
the potential here and try to leverage their know-how, their supply chain to be a part of this revolution. And when you look at, at some countries where meat is much more traditional and is related to um, distributed supply chain, we see some lobby groups uh, fighting against the use of the term meat or the use of the term, uh, you know, hamburger. But these are anecdotes. Uh, we see the biggest companies in the world like Cargill and Tyson investing in meat alternatives. Some giants in the USA like Smithfield are developing their own line of products. And, and they have a little bit of a different way to look at it. They say first that the revolution is inevitable. So they think they should be a part of it and not fight against it. And they also say something that, that you might disagree with. It might sound a little bit cynical. They say people like to eat meat and we need to raise animals and slaughter them to provide what the consumers want. If we can provide what the consumers need without an animal, we would much rather do it uh, because it's more sustainable, because it's more humane, and because um, there is a lack of resources. So meat companies cannot grow. There, there is no place on planet to grow more meat than what we're growing now, and the demand is increasing. And I think this will be a case where the, the new industry will work with the incumbents, uh, the giants of, of this industry together, and, and you will see some things regarding marketing and regulation, but this is really the, the anecdote of, of a story that is unfolding now very uh, aggressively. Uh, and we also see because of COVID that perhaps this acceleration will be much faster than what we all thought, because during COVID, uh, the meat industry uh, suffered a lot. And we have shortages in meat production all over the world, especially in the USA and in Europe, but, but it's coming from all over the world for many reasons. And what makes more sense than instead of uh, going back to supporting the meat industry after COVID or, or meat companies to start to rebuild their supply chain, but actually embrace more alternatives to meat, embrace more innovation in technology. And, and then it will be uh, us and the meat industry working together to create a future that, that six months ago looked like might take a decade to achieve. And so I think, I think this is a really a, a perfect storm in the food industry and in the meat industry that is only good for everybody. It's good for the planet, it's good for animals, it's good for human beings. And I don't think that meat will disappear. It's not that in the next five years, meat consumption will, grow to, will go to zero. Uh, you'll have 10% in the coming years of meat coming from alternative meat. I mean, uh, 10, 20 years, Time frame about 50-50. This is my personal belief. Yeah, it sounds very likely. And, uh, you know, if I think in my own lifetime, if I probably would wa walk into a supermarket in the United States 40 years ago and 20 years ago and even 10 years ago, uh, it's 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 quite a dynamic industry, the food industry. And, and there's been a lot of innovation and, and people's tastes have changed and people eat differently and I, and I think the public is not really necessarily static in terms of what they eat they, they are willing to change if, if the quality is good and it and it tastes good that, that's the critical thing if it tastes good everything can unfold if it tastes good that that's the number one lesson you learn in the food industry if it doesn't taste good then nothing is important not health not sustainability not, not the cost structure but I think that now meat alternatives are getting as tasty as their animal equivalent or, or the animal origin. Mm -hmm. And now we can see really what is the, what is the change that will happen. And this was not possible uh, 10 years ago. Most definitely. All right. So let me, my final question is just something very uh, lighthearted and, and personal. Do, do you like to barbecue? 
Oh, I love to barbecue, but unfortunately, since I stopped eating meat, my barbecues are less exciting and, and <laughs> I have less, I, I used to really celebrate uh, meat and, and cooking meat and it was uh, more of a, of a lifestyle approach for me, grilling uh, on open fire big chunks of meat. Now I do it with tofu and, and some uh, mushrooms and the neighbors don't get excited. You know, when you put meat on the grill, the entire neighborhood knows that you're doing it. When you, you put tofu on the grill, nothing happens. And that's why <laughs> in Redefined Meat, we're working on it really hard so I can grill uh, with my family. Uh, currently, our meat is not at its best on open fire. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and we're perfecting that. We actually have now in the lab a new grill that we bought to start really improving it for grilling. And uh, close to the holiday season, you know, Sukkot and all of that, we, we want to have something related to the fact that uh, I need to do a barbecue with my family and we want people in Israel to grill alternative meat that will be really, really worth uh, uh, lighting a barbecue for. All right. Well, that's, that's something else to look forward to. And uh, I hope to hear and read about when you have that breakthrough. In any case, if people want to know more about your company, how can they find more out, Ishar? Uh, we have a nice website, uh, redefinedmeat.com, and we also have a, a mailbox info at redefinedmeat.com that we answer personally everybody that sends us a message there probably within 24 hours. It's really important for us to hear ideas, suggestions, questions. We try to be as transparent as possible without giving away all of our intellectual property. And we like to hear ideas that people send to us. Some, some of them are wild, but the idea of 3D printing meat instead of using cows is quite wild. So we're, we are used to it. All right. Well, thank you very, very much. And we wish you great luck. And we all look forward to uh, enjoying your, your products. At least I can speak for myself and my family. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 